This is the Jamal Show. Down in. Jamal C. Rock. Jamal. Jamal C. Rock. Jamal. This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show. Greetings crowd, I bid you hello. It has been a long time, a long time indeed. Almost a month since you last heard my voice. Now the last time you heard from me, I was preparing for a major surgery. And boy did I talk some crap. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to be back in a week. (laughs) I'll see y'all in two days. You know, I'm going to have the surgery. I'm going to walk up the hospital. Let me tell you folks, let me tell you folks, a major surgery is a major surgery. And um, I'm still healing. It's a month later. You know, I'm in PT, I'm in physical therapy, and boy, let me tell you, it's like, where does it hurt, Jamal? Yeah, keep doing that. (laughs) So, if you didn't know, I had a total hip replacement, and it was very serious. I thought it wasn't serious, but it was. I gotta um, thank all those in my corner, those who gave me their thoughts and prayers, you know, as they always say. I appreciate you all. I came through the surgery, my friends, and I came away from this experience with a much greater appreciation for life. Now, you know me, in the beginning, I'm always going to tell you how much you should appreciate life. You know, not everyone, roughly 2 million Americans did not wake up this morning. And I congratulate you on being one of the few that did. Well, one of the many that did, so. That's right. That's uh, right. I would have applause, but I'm not prepared. <laughs> I realized that I didn't necessarily have to wake up from surgery. That wasn't guaranteed to me. I learned that lesson when my infant son, Simon, passed away just a few years ago. I realized then that tomorrow isn't guaranteed to anybody. So, you know, just by waking up, you win. You're a winner. My friends, I woke up today in hopes that you appreciate your gift of life, a gift given directly to you from your creator for your enjoyment. Remember, I'm always the one to remind you of that. I will always be the one to remind you to appreciate what you have. And I want to persuade you to live your best life now. Because none of us can count on being here tomorrow. You know? I've learned from my experience that even an infant cannot afford to take life for granted. That's a sad truth. That's a lesson that I learned from my infant son who passed away way too soon. So in his memory, I've learned that we have all got to learn to appreciate today. We've got to smell the roses, so to speak. We've all got to live one day at a time. I'm speaking directly to you. If you're having a hard time today, I want you to know that this too will pass. I can tell you from experience, just persevere. Have perseverance. If you persevere, you will have eventual success in whatever you aspire to. I have some guests here that can can tell you that from personal experience. Believe that because it is true. That is why the moral of this broadcast is perseverance. I'm calling this show Perseverance because it can take you far. Once again, I can speak from experience. I wouldn't be on the radio talking to you today without perseverance. I wouldn't be a lawyer without perseverance. In order for me to be able to succeed in anything, I have to first stick through the challenge of living. And life is complicated. Life is complicated for everybody. Nobody gets out of this easy. As, as they used to say, nobody gets out of life alive, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what my dad used to say. You're right, you're right. Life is challenging. 
With that in mind, I urge you all to move forward and to be persistent in your goals. Because if you are not, your goals will not happen. Uh, Maya Angelou used to say, nothing works unless you do. If you don't remember anything I've said today, please remember that. Now, we have a few guests on the show today. We have two lawyers here to discuss some important topics. It's going to be a little different. We're going to be a little free-flowing today. We have some call-ins. So I don't want to waste too much time with this monologue. Um, for those who are unaware, this is the Jamal Show, and it's time to get straight to business. Let me go ahead and start the show off officially. Welcome to Saturday, my friends, the very next day of your life. This is the Jamal Show, the place where we practice intelligence. Live and on your favorite podcasting network. My name is Jamal. I'm an information junkie from Harlem, and I'm passing the fruits of my illness on to you. As for me, I'm your listener guide, mostly along for the ride, coming straight for the Hartford Studios of WKND, 97.5, or what is it, 1480 AM. I don't listen to AM very much, so that's live radio for you. I'm doing it live up until the day when Americans aren't obsessive about guns. Unfortunately, that means I'll be around forever, but at least you'll be entertained. On this day, the revolution will be televised, live on Facebook and Instagram, because... Let's be honest, who watches TV anymore? The Jamal Show Facebook page is live. Go there now and your intelligence will improve. <laughs> Gotta say hello to God's right-hand man, the unshakable Bishop. How you doing, Bishop? What's up, Bishop? Round of applause. Good to see you here again in the studio after a uh, long break. Um, wish Dr. Mac was here. Dr. Mac took off the floor to go spend time with his sweetheart. Which means there's a bar somewhere in Florida that is running out of whiskey right now. <laughs> Too bad for them. I'm also obligated to greet my sign language interpreter, Deborah, Hello. because sending a shout on the radio can be deaf people is cool. Especially when it's on Instagram. So please check out the Jamal Show on Instagram. It's a great uh, experience. In addition, we have some special guests in the studio today. Got to say hello to my, well, John Rose couldn't make it. I hope he's doing all right. He had an accident this morning. Um, so, I am going to introduce Christopher Peeper. My good friend Christopher Peeper is an attorney currently working as a partner to the law firm of... Blitz Barger in Deutsch. Exactly. I knew that, but I didn't want to fuck up the name. Excuse my language. Oh. Uh-huh. He's an old friend of mine. We'll be all right. He's an old friend of mine and a very brilliant man. So, we are happy to have him joining us on the broadcast. Definitely stay with us because we will have a caller who is um, an expert on marijuana policy. Um... My friends, this will just be an awesome show, so please lend us your ear, because I'm finally back. Moving on, while we're all live on the radio right now on WKND 97.5, you can hear us best while using a live radio app on your phone or laptop, like Extreme Mix Radio or TuneIn, whatever, don't, don't discriminate, you can use any one of them. If you can't find those apps, you're probably going to need a little perseverance. Eh. In other words, try harder. Now, it's been over a month since you last heard my voice. The last time we talked, the theme was freedom. And that was a great broadcast you should listen to. Today, I want to tell you how perseverance can save you. But how will I pull that off? Well, how I always do it, by scheming and planning on how to get you all more intelligent. And it isn't easy with 18-year-old boys being able to buy assault rifles on the very day they become eligible for the purchase. Because it almost seems like they're planning something sinister when they do so. So why would an 18-year-old buy an assault rifle on his birthday if not to commit mass murder? Actually, here's a better question. Why would a parent buy a deadly weapon for their underage child? Or why would a parent buy a deadly weapon for a child who is mentally ill? The answer is I have no idea, but we'll be exploring these questions later on in the show. By the way, 
for the few months that we have left to live before Vladimir Putin starts World War III, I will be working as a Connecticut attorney. So here's a shout-out to the Connecticut Bar Association, of which I'm a proud member. Also, if you came late to the party, I would remind you that this broadcast will soon be up on every podcast network that ever existed. That's a lie, of course, but it's a lie that we can make true with your help. So please share the gift of the Jamal Show with a loved one, and I'll give you a million dollars one day. Lastly, please know that my views do not represent the views of the station. And I'm not going to tell you that's because the station owner doesn't like me. But let me say it like this. The station owner doesn't like me. So don't get me kicked off WKND due to your misguidance. I do not represent the station. Get it through your thick head. By the way, you're always free to call and join us on discussion anytime. Just call at 860-218-2173. My psychiatrist says that I lash out at people on the radio, so I guess it's kind of risky. But you can always call in. Okay, folks. Time for a break. My mouth is dry. When we come back, we will talk about marijuana policy. We have a caller, right? All right, we'll talk about marijuana policy a bit with a true expert. Trust me on this. Then we're going to talk about how to avoid mass shootings. How about that? Then we're going to talk about Roe versus Wade. Hopefully we can get to that. We have a lot to rap about today, and it's going to be a little bit loose. The good news is the gods have been good to us. The news gods have been good to us. So we have a lot to talk about today. And we have two lawyers here live on the Jamal Show unscripted. And the goal is for you to get a little bit more intelligence. So let's get moving. But right now we have a break. Lucky you. You don't have to hear me talk right through it. Here's a little independent tune to make you nod your head during the break. The title of the song is called Spanish Harlem. And it's by a golden age hip-hop group that you never heard called Seeds of Labor. You're going to like the song. But don't break your neck nodding your head, please, because I need you for the next segment. All right? Bishop, hit me. Well, I was up in Spanish Harlem. When I saw the girl, I felt I had to kick the jargon. Come into my secret garden, young Latina, because I like what I saw when I seen you. Ayo, I like chicks that speak Espanol and live in Spanish Harlem. I'm just seeking stardom. The hips is mad thick. The hair is mad slick. Dominican accents with luggage in the back end. The New York City dating games a lot scarier. The more fly the girl, the more dangerous the areas. Projects are rugged, brownstones the homes. To these queens of the uptown scene. A hip-hop dream, if I ever make it. I spark a green, damn I couldn't take it. But up here the girl's so fly, it's like a show. Or a video, I'm on my way to the studio. With my man Jamal and my DJ Eric. Seen a Latin chick that was so dope, I have to share this. She had a baby shirt and jeans to hug the waistline. Expensive clothes with the navel exposed. Gear was from the village, the pretty eyes were smiling. Attitude from Harlem, body from the island. Of Puerto Rico, but she was raised in Manhattan. Don't say Hispanic, you gotta call them Latin. So I started threading my way through the pedestrians, straight towards the girl who had the thighs of an equestrian. Uh-huh. Hola, senorita, I'm from Virginia. That's down south, where it's quite strange to see a girl of your complexion. Then ask the which direction that she was heading. Then I started forgetting all about this girl because coming up the street was a different chick that had a beat. When I was up in Spanish Harlem, when I saw the girl, I felt I had to kick the jargon. Coming to my secret garden, young Latina, cause I like what I saw when I seen it. Hola, the place is Spanish Harlem, girls are all over. I want the legs to spread like that virus called Ebola. But I don't disrespect when I see you in the disco check, dancing to Selena. Pretty young Latina, check it. We can pick the town like Picasso if you got to muchacho. I'll catch beef like a taco from a young desperado who's not trying to hear it. 
how I wanna touch your mind, your body and your spirit. Cause straight up and down, I love the chicks. I grew up around in feline kicks from 116th to 96th. Ain't this something? How we cruise the party scene, looking for a beauty queen with holes in my jeans. Calling me Coca-Cola, what's that supposed to mean? I'm not your enemy, so check my integrity. I'm loving life just like I'm loving the spice on your beans and rice. But your parents is tripe, cause they don't like the type. Non-Spanish speaking with a couple of stripes, plus a medal from the ghetto. Well, I was up in Spanish Harlem when I saw the girl. I felt I had to kick the jargon. Come into my secret garden, young Latina, cause I like what I saw when I seen it. Well, I was up in Spanish Harlem when I saw the girl. I felt I had to kick the jargon. Come into my secret garden, young Latina, cause I like what I saw when I seen it. Well, I was up in Spanish Harlem when I saw the girl. I felt I had to kick the jargon. Okay, so welcome back to the Jamal Show. I, of course, am Jamal. We have some guests in the studio, but I need to introduce somebody on the phone to you right now. Now, a lot of people know that I went to law school, and this whole show is kind of like a reunion. I've got Chris Peeper in, uh, attorney Chris Peeper in the studio with me, and on the phone, I have somebody very important. Um, when I went to law school, we did a, a radio show called Liberation Radio. That's right. And we have all the members of that show... <laughs> Uh, Chris Peepers, attorney Chris Peepers here in the studio with me. On the phone, we have Anthony Johnson. And you might have never heard of him, but this guy, when I was in law school, you know what this guy was talking about? Marijuana reform. He was talking about how so many minorities are getting arrested for nonsense, put in jail for this, you know, misdemeanor crime of, of, of smoking pot or what have you. And, you know, it was a real bad thing. And what happened was states started moving towards uh, making marijuana legal, first medical, then then um, recreational uh, here in Connecticut and in New York, where I'm from. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this guy, Anthony Johnson, he is a major player in the marijuana reform movement. Um, he's calling, I believe, out of Portland. And he's um, done major things to, to change the laws in, in Oregon and other states. Um, when we were going to law school in Missouri, he was working back then to do the same. So I just really want to um, introduce Anthony John. Anthony, are you on the line? Can you hear me? I am here, here, loud and clear, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we have him on the air? Yeah. Okay, so you hear him. I All right, so Anthony, why don't you tell me a little bit about... Um, how you got involved in the, in the movement in the first place? First of all, it's been a long time, man. It's, it's great to hear from you. Um, thanks for calling in. But can you tell me a little bit of how you got involved in the movement and maybe a little bit what was going today, where it's going today? Uh, yeah. Hey, brother. Uh, it's so good to bring Liberation Radio back. I uh, uh, I became involved in the movement when I saw people busted for cannabis while I was in college and saw that. People of color, poor people in general, were getting uh, arrested, jailed, losing their livelihood, and they uh, needed to, uh, you know, just felt compelled to change these laws so that we would no longer be just decimating uh, communities of color and poor people in general 
for uh, something that's uh, less addictive, less harmful than alcohol. And when you started this um, this crusade, I actually thought it would never happen. You know, just sort of, just like I thought I'd never see a Barack Obama. I never th- thought I'd see a black president. Um, are you surprised with how far things have come with so many states? I think like over like 20 states are considering um, reforming these marijuana laws. Are you surprised at how far it's come? I am surprised by how far we've come this quickly. Uh, back when I was an activist in college, you know, 20 years ago, because we're old now, um, I pretty much gave it until 2020. I was like, if we don't legalize cannabis in a state by 2020, I'm going to go on and do something else. It's just a lost cause. And Colorado and Washington legalized in 2012. Um, Oregon, uh, was honored to be chief petitioner of Oregon's legalization law in 2014. And then now, um, majority of states have some kind of medical cannabis laws and more than a dozen states have legalized cannabis and we're passing, uh, legalization laws to the United States House. Still got to work on the Senate if that can ever happen while the filibuster's in effect. But I'm surprised that it's happened uh, this quickly and how uh, we've been able to uh, learn from each state, learn to build upon each other's successes. And in Oregon, we've even uh, decriminalized uh, personal possession of all drugs uh, in 2020. So, uh, yeah, it's moving more quickly than I thought, but I thought that eventually the, uh, the truth about the ills of prohibition and the truth about how demonizing people to use certain drugs doesn't work and how it's a failed policy, I eventually, I eventually thought the truth would win the day. Hey, Anthony, this is Chris. Good to hear your, good to hear your voice on the airwaves, brother. Um, hey, I got a question. I remember back in when we were in law school, and, and, I, and I remember you working even to decriminalize uh, marijuana in, in you know, Colombia. Uh, and there was always discussion about sort of, you know, this parade of horribles of what would happen if, uh, you know, if, if marijuana was, was legalized or decriminalized, that there would be all these, you know, all these negative effects, gateway drug, et cetera, et cetera. Now that there's been so much experience that states have had, you're talking about like, you know, Colorado from 2012. Uh, I mean, that's a decade you know what? What has any of those have any of those predictions come true about all these all these terrible things that would happen if marijuana was uh, decriminalized? You know that's the bigger biggest reason that we've seen success state after state. It's the biggest reason why when cannabis legalization, decriminalization, medical use, when it's put before the voters, we win. Uh, it's hard to pass it through legislatures, and politicians are definitely behind the times. But the people know the truth, and what prohibitionists, you know, from the reefer madness days on, and the propaganda about marijuana, cannabis law, uh, yeah, those, those things have not uh, come to fruition. You hear the horror stories that uh, there's going to be chaos on the highways, uh, kids' test scores are going to be decimated, you're going to see everybody using other drugs because it's a gateway drug. And that hasn't panned out. What people have seen is that life goes on, uh, the sky doesn't fall, and what you do is you create jobs, you create revenue, you can utilize the cannabis tax revenue for things that your community needs, whether it's for schools, 
or public safety programs or drug treatment programs. You can utilize that revenue and capture that money instead of just setting it on fire by just arresting and jailing people. So all the horror stories of the sky is going to fall, that does not play out when uh, cannabis is uh, decriminalized or legalized. And that's why uh, when we make the ballot, that's why we win, because the truth has played out that the uh, the reefer madness, uh, woe is me, the sky's going to fall, proclamations have not come to fruition. Be a little frank and, and just, first of all, I've always believed the drug, the drug war to be a complete hoax. Um, because, you know, it's almost hypocritical, right? You've got drugs out here that actually kill people. You know, opioids was you know killed millions of people. Uh, all the a lot of these drugs have side effects that are put out by pharmaceuticals. But marijuana was what was illegal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? After not having killed anybody in the history of the world, marijuana is the one the, the the one thing you could go to jail for for years and years. The thing we ran from cops from, the thing that cops beat on people for, the thing that made you shunned from your neighbors. That you know was marijuana. Out of all things. You know what I'm saying? So many people went to jail and spent time in jail over this nonsense, you know? And so I really, you know, it's hard for me to even um, deal with this with a straight face because this should have never been illegal in the first place. You know what I'm saying? It's a natural um, growing plant. It's almost like you can't grow there. You're illegal. You know what I'm saying? I never took it serious in the first place. And I've always seen it as a political crime almost. You know what I'm saying? So I congratulate you on, on your stance. But... You had to take a few hits. I mean, even in law school, when you stood up for something like this, you have people looking at you like, oh, maybe you're just a pothead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the yeah. stigma yeah. that's attached to this stuff. What, what do you have to say about that? Um, what, what Chris asked about earlier, talking about, um, you know, the gateway drug, that came from John McCain, by the way, who was a good man, but, you know, no one's perfect. Uh, and, and George H.W. Bush, well, you know, once they start smoking pot, they're going to be doing crack next. You know, they're all going to be, you know, cook, you know, all that stuff. The gateway drug hypothetical. Um, how, how did you deal with the stigma attached to this whole thing? I just want to ask you that. Being an attorney who I know was on law review, who did very well in law school, you know, it's kind of hard to interview with a big law firm and you're the lead guy on marijuana reform, right? Oh, for sure. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's definitely a stigma around you know, cannabis use, working in drug policy, working for the issue, and I combated it by um, always, you know, personally, I believe, you know, kind of exceeding expectations. So if, if somebody deems that you are a pothead or a druggie or you're just uh, consumed with, uh, you know, drug policy and not really a serious student, you know, I did that by, yeah, being one of the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the top students in my class. I do it by being educated at the issue. I do it by being able to uh, debate people with a bunch of credentials around their, um, you know, around their name. And when you're educated on the issue, and it's you know, this is the the Jamal show, the place to get intelligent, right? When you're educated Uh, on the issue, and you can you can articulate your point of view, and you can debate anybody on the issue, and then you can overcome uh, stigma eventually. But it is definitely something to. Uh, you know, to to address and to get over. And when I would interview with firms, yeah, the lawyers interviewing me all agree, uh, all agreed that the drug war is a sham. We should legalize cannabis, and would divulge to me how they use cannabis and other drugs, and they know the drug war is ridiculous and just a way to go after people of color and poor people in general. Uh, but of course, their bosses aren't quite uh, up 
uh, you know, uh, on the same level. Or, you know, the older the people are, the older generations, which we're doing better and better on the, on the issue with older generations as well, but definitely when I was starting on the issue, the older people, over 65 especially, were not supportive, but you start legalizing medical cannabis, they realize it helps with their chronic pain, and you kind of chip away at that. So, yeah, there's always stigma no matter um, what you do. And, uh, you know, and so you got to overcome that, whether uh, you work in drug policy, people deem you a pothead, people look down upon you or think you're not that smart on certain areas because you're, you're a certain color or you're a man or a woman or whatever, but you just uh, educate yourself and just work to overcome it. And, uh, you know, the, the theme of the show is per, uh, persistence. And, you know, the first uh, campaign that I helped <laughs> Thank lead you for that. in Columbia, Columbia, Missouri in 2003, you know, we lost. And we came back and won in 2004. First time I was in a statewide marijuana measure in Oregon in 2010, we lost. We came back again to win in 2014. And so uh, you take your hits, you take your, uh, you take what people are going to say about you, but you, uh, you just come back and come back stronger and get educated on your issue and, uh, and overcome those things. Anthony, this is Chris. So the we talk about stigma, and as, you know, as an attorney, obviously. You know, and and all all three of us, you know, we've got, you know, we've got privilege as as a result of being an attorney. And maybe, you know, it it looks a little funny to some some partners if you're, you know, if you're involved in cannabis policy. But, you know, the the real stigma that we see is, you know, all of the people who have uh, criminal records that are based on prosecutions for, you know, possession of cannabis or, or other, you know, other kind of marijuana related crimes. How have you worked as part of your marijuana advocacy or in, in sort of the legalization? How have you worked on kind of the expungement, you know, criminal justice reform issues around cannabis possession, you know, sort of the, the sins of the past and the stigma that that creates for folks who are trying to get a job, you know, trying to get trying to get education, trying to get a loan, uh, you know that that to me is sort of the consequences, the long term consequences of the of the drug war and, and, and cannabis, uh, you know, criminalization. How have your efforts is, for advocacy dealt with kind of that issue, the, the the folks that are incarcerated or that have a record as far as marijuana use? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Chris. So. So much of the headlines around cannabis legalization are about the jobs that get created and the revenue that's that, that's produced. And uh, and for me, yeah, it's all about civil liberties, the criminal justice issues. To me, that that's the most important thing. And the jobs and revenue is just icing on the cake. So in Oregon, uh, after uh, we legalized cannabis in 2014, uh, we managed to pass uh, legislation twice to further allow uh, expungement provisions under the law. Um, you know, people, you know, I, me, me included, when I moved to Oregon, I deemed Oregon to be uh, this super progressive, super liberal, like, hippie place. But you soon realize that Oregon, like most states, it's the cities and college towns are progressive, and the rest of the state is no different than Missouri, Alabama, Mississippi, the rest of the state, rural and conservative. And so the state overall was not near as progressive as what I thought. Up until 2017, possession of any amount of any drug other than marijuana was a felony in Oregon. So it was one speck, one gram of, like, magic mushrooms, a felony, a felony on your record. Uh, and up until 2015, certain marijuana 
uh, crimes like growing cannabis or selling uh, certain amounts. That wasn't even expungeable. That would be on your record forever, and there was no way you could remove that from your record. So in 2015, we managed to pass legislation that uh, changed that, allowed folks to expunge uh, their records. One of my favorite stories uh, is, uh, you know, people having their records cleared and, you know, local public, you know, media reports on it. And they're like, I had tears of joy because for 20 years this felony has followed me around and has hurt, hurt my life. And now we've, uh, now that's off my record and, and it's something that's followed me. So twice now we have uh, helped the expungement law, expanded what penalties can be expunged. And now my work now is I want uh, automatic expungement. So that's, and that's actually a big fight. I want automatic expungement of all nonviolent drug offenses after a certain amount of time, because the truth of the matter is now to get your record expunged, uh, you know, most people have to hire a lawyer or you have to have a certain amount of money to, um, uh, to pay the filing fees and court costs to get that off your record. And personally, I think the law should be the law no matter whether you're rich, poor, in the middle. And it shouldn't be because you can afford a lawyer, because you are sophisticated enough to navigate the system, you can get your offense expunged. But I personally think after three years, five years, depending on the offense, it should just, it should just be off your record when it's a nonviolent drug offense. So that's a continual, continual work that we have improved upon the law. And, and, and one thing I like seeing is that future legalization laws after the pioneering states are starting to add automatic expungement provisions to their law. So when California uh, legalized in 2016, they added it automatically to their law to expunge it. So that is a definite, um, a definite battle that, uh, that we have to continue because, yeah, people's lives have been uh, hindered for too long by these unnecessary nonviolent offenses on the record. Um. So keeping, uh, hi, I'm Deborah. How are you? Good morning. Uh, keeping in line with what you guys were talking about with stigmas and things being removed from that, I want to also bring up the point that a lot of parents who used to, you know, just smoke, uh, recreational pain use even, some of them would have medical um, use cards. They were getting brought up in CPS, you know, in certain cases like that. So it's a really, as a mom, um, the first thing I think about is when people stigmatize marijuana use, they're always like saying, oh, well, you know, that's, you know, something that we can see as a sign of neglecting the child. But what they're starting to find is that it actually has nothing to do with how these parents have been caring for the children. The children are cared for properly. They have food, you know. So the stigma with, oh, if you're a, a parent, you know, and you smoke marijuana, you must not be a good parent or you must not be a, a good pro, a care provider. I'm really happy that they're starting to recognize that in the courts, too, as being removed, that it has absolutely nothing to do with how parents care for their children. So so it doesn't just affect people in the professional world. It goes straight down to our communities. And then we become stigmatized when we go out into the world. You know, you're like the mom looking around like, you know, I'll spray myself before I show up at the game. But even now, it's no one, um, it's starting to just no one um, is looking at You know, it's at really interesting. I, I can report to you, Anthony, from personal experience. You know, I deal with child protection in Connecticut. And I was actually really happy. Yeah. I, I've dealt with CPS recently. And I've I've seen them deal with a parent who was a smoker who who actually <coughs> excuse me who admitted to smoking. I was actually on a phone call where I had a parent admit to smoking the CPS, and they were like, yeah, 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 
But what about your drinking? Your drinking's a real problem. I was like, wow, we've come a long way. Because it used to be in Connecticut that you could lose your child for smoking marijuana. It used to be that way. Um, and it's no longer that way. Connecticut doesn't do that anymore. So, um, you know, Anthony, I'm, I'm going to let you go in a minute. But I want to tell you, I always say that you know good people because they do hard work. That isn't congratulated very much. And I appreciate you very much for being righteous enough to, to, to stay on this issue. Because there were a lot of people suffering here. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people that had this on their records. A lot, it was hindering a lot of people, even from the bar. You know, I know pers- personally, from personal experience, people that have gone through this. So I appreciate people who take on unpopular fights and keep fighting and have the persistence to keep going because this, it's rational, because it helps people. You know, you're not a guy who spent a lot of time in jail or nothing like that. This wasn't something that hounded you, but you cared about an issue and you kept on it. And by golly, you know, while people called you crazy 10 years ago, it seems like you were on the right track. So I really appreciate you, Anthony. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate hearing that. Keep up the fight. You know, when you um, keep uh, educating yourself, keep speaking the truth, keep speaking your truth, you know, and hey, man, the truth uh, eventually uh, sets us all free. So I uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. I was glad to be back on the radio for a bit with you all and uh, keep doing your thing and uh, happy to see uh, you on the East Coast. Chris in the Midwest, me on the West Coast. We're still uh, Liberation Radio, still alive and well, brother. Um, I'll be speaking to you soon. Have a beautiful day, all right? Hey, you too. Take care. Okay, so that was a nice long segment full of really good facts and information. And, boy, I couldn't have done that without Attorney Anthony Johnson. So thanks for him joining us. I think it's time to take another quick break because we're going to get into some um, gun stuff. Um, if you live under a rock and you didn't know, there was a mass shooting in Buffalo, and then there was another one in Uvalde, Texas. Now, we have... Um, a Buffalo hometown resident in the studio with us, and we want to um, um, elaborate on some of that stuff a little bit um, because these were shocking events and sad events. Um, we also have another caller, so that's uh, Denise, I believe. So why don't we go ahead and take a break, and we got a whole bunch of stuff for you. Uh, Bishop, why don't you go ahead and play a song for me?
his face, I'm feeling good. Off the Hennessy sip, swaggin' from head to toe fit. Pop the gorilla good lip, keeping it moving and dip. I'm better with the diamond queen. They looking at us left and right, selfie pics and limousines. Show your right, the place is hype, it's nothing but energy. Let's call for alcohol, but the party ain't over. Y'all give it up for Sharonda G. My name is Jamal. You're back with the Jamal Show, so you're in luck today. Not only did you wake up, but you have an hour's worth of informational entertainment at your fingertips. And I know you didn't turn the channel because right now we have a guest on the air. Um, she just called in. Her name is De- Dr. Denise Wonderler. Let me tell you something about Dr. Denise. A, co- a few years ago, I had the unfortunate um, event happen to me. That a young infant passed away. Now, you know, I, I walked off with my pain. I licked my wounds. Deborah was here with me. There are other people that do other things. They take action when things happen to them. And such a person is on the line right now. Dr. Denise Wonderland had the exact same thing happen to her. But she didn't just go away licking her wounds. She started a charity, Team Vienna. Team Vienna is for um, SUDC Awareness. You can help me here, Deborah. Yes, it's for SUDC Awareness for our beautiful, sweet Vienna, Denise's daughter, who unfortunately has passed Let me make this simple. Let me just get to the point. Children are dropping dead. Yes. Infants and children are just dropping dead, and for years, nobody knew why. This is a woman who has um, investigated why. She wanted to know why her child... You know, didn't wake up while she put her when she put her to sleep in front of her TV many years ago, and this is a daily struggle for her. I congratulate her on being able to work through her pain and make it matter for other parents. So, Doctor Denise, do you hear me? Are you on the air? Hi, yes. Hi, Jamal. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks for. So, um, why don't you update us on what's going on with your charity and what's um, um, how you're moving forward with this uh, this uh, mo- this movement? Uh, well, first of all, I do uh, thank you again for having me as a recurrent guest. And I would like to acknowledge your beautiful son, Simon, who passed three months ago. I know, um, I'm sorry, three years ago this month due to SID. So, again, deepest condolences. Um, so, well, in terms of Team Vienna, so one big thing that's happened recently is we had the fifth annual Vienna's Day of International SUDC Awareness. And SUDC stands for Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood. So, essentially, this is SID's 
but in kids 1 to 18 years old, and as you mentioned, oh, my, my, my darling, Vienna was uh, almost 3 years old when she fell asleep watching TV in New Jersey about four and a half years ago and then never woke up. And so for this particular day in May, it's always the day after, or the Saturday after Mother's Day, the world gets involved. So when remembering Vienna, other SUDC kids, and essentially educating the world about this because we don't learn about this in medical school. It's very under-recognized. Um, so we had, again, uh, for the fourth year in a row, all seven continents, including Antarctica, and actually it was the South Pole, represented, which was unbelievable, the South Pole Medical Center. And so really just trying to do unique things to and, and activities to really get more eyes on this so that more research can be done so we can figure out why uh, our kids are passing away in their sleep. Um, and even more research needs to be done on SIDS, and over $500 million is already spent on SIDS, but yet we that SIDS is not an answer. And SEDC is way, you know, not even close to where SIDS is right now. You know, we have so much more to do on all this. So I have a question for you, Dr. Denise, that um, speaking of uh, research and things like that, I know you do a lot of the, um, you know, contributions in that area. Recently, I had read something online that said that they have started to find a cause or, or perhaps a reason why um, for infants um, that they don't wake up. Um, I believe it's they lack an enzyme in their brain that evolves from um, going from sleep to awake. Can you tell me a little bit if you know anything about that? Yeah. Hi, Deb. Yeah, nice to hear from you. Um, yeah, thanks for asking that question. That's one thing I, I, would, I wanted to talk about today, um, of course, in, in, the, in Simon's honor with this. Um, so, yes, yeah, so this recent uh, research was just published um, this month and received a lot of media attention because it was heavily advertised as the cause of SIDS. And this was very misleading. And I've got some buddies who were not very thrilled with all this type of um, misleading advertising regarding this. Um, it definitely, I think, could be an important piece of the puzzle, but it's definitely a lot more complex than that and needs more um, more more studies to, to use the, the findings. So essentially, so getting into the study a little bit, um, so the title is, Butyl cholinesterase as a potential biomarker for SIDS. So that this butyl cholinesterase, essentially this is a, a big word for it. It's an enzyme in the body that's not greatly understood, but it seems to play an important part in the central nervous system. So essentially where nerve cells or neurons speak to one another to perform various functions of the body. So in Australia, um, they had a group of researchers, and, and interestingly, Deb, uh, one of the researchers is a SIDS mom, and she lost her child almost 30 years ago, which makes this, of course, even more personal to all of us. So talk about perseverance is what Jamal's named the show. So it was a small study, about 26 uh, SIDS babies, and what they found is, like you mentioned, Deb, that there's a lower level of this enzyme in these 26 babies who died of SIDS compared to other babies who survived. So why this is potentially important to the puzzle of SIDS is that this lower enzyme, this lower, lower amount, it may decrease the baby's ability to autocorrect their dangerous situation while they're sleeping. So say, for instance, um, you know, the baby um, was laid on their belly to go to sleep, and as you know, that's not the right thing to do. The best is to put them on their back. Back to sleep program, which was back in the 90s, which really decreased it dramatically. So say, for instance, my mistake or something, you know, the baby was put on their belly, and usually you breathe in oxygen and then you exhale carbon dioxide. Well, in this situation, you have a baby who is on their belly. Now they're rebreathing that carbon dioxide while they're sleeping. 
So now you have carbon dioxide increasing. And this, in a normal baby, it should alert the baby to move their head. Move their head to now breathe in proper oxygen. But what they're finding is that potentially, this is the hypothesis with this study, is that they're thinking, well, with this low enzyme, that maybe the baby is not able, you know, to, to move their head to breathe in this fresh oxygen because this alert mechanism is not intact. They can't self-correct. And then, you know, the inevitable happens, and then they stop breathing. So that's kind of what their what that study was about. Really interesting. Um you know, it goes back to my philosophy that big problems are usually caused by really small problems. And um, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm so glad that there are people like you out here working on stuff like this because this is beyond my realm of capability. Um, we're running out of time. I do want you to uh, let the audience know if they want to support your charity, can you please give them some contact information, the website, uh, phone number, what have you, whatever you have to give to let these people reach you and, and support you. Yeah, thank you, Jamal. Um, our website is www.vienna.team. So that's the name of my daughter, V-I-E-N-N-A, the capital of Austria. So Vienna.team. And uh, by email, that would be the best. That would be teamvienna2018 at yahoo.com. And if anybody has any questions or if something does happen where it's uh, someone who you know who lost a child of any age, I'm more than happy to help in any way that I can. And, you know, I, I'm thankful that there are research studies out there. The main one that, that we're all involved with here is the Rit Roberts program at Boston Children's Hospital under the direction of Dr. Goldstein. And he and his team are amazing there. So they actually, they're doing research on SIDS and SUDC. So um, we, we've donated almost $30,000 to them in the last uh, couple of years. So, but, will uh, we be, again, will, so we will be talking again very soon, Dr. Nish. You know you're always welcome on the show. Please continue your work, and I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for having me. You know, Dr. Denise works very hard on her charity. If you have something uh, similar that you're working on to help people, I'd like to hear about it. You can write me at jamalshowradio at gmail.com. Come on the show and talk about what you're doing to, to help people and get people ahead in life and uh, and, and try to find the answers to some, some of God's riddles. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, we've been having um, some issues with guns in America. And we had a couple of mass shootings in the past couple of weeks. And the reason why this is particularly um, important right now is because one of them was in Buffalo. One of them was in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, the Buffalo one is particularly relevant to this show because Deborah is from Buffalo. Um, and I want her to speak a little bit about um, the neighborhood and, and what some of the thoughts that were going through her head when this uh, apparently a white supremacist walked into a grocery store and uh, shot 13 people, 10 of which died, um, three of which survived. Now, Deborah knows the store. Um, two of the people who died, she knows. Uh, one of the survivors she is her cousin. Um, but I believe her name is Fragrance. It's, yes. it's Fragrance. Name. It's very unique. Right. So you know the store. You've been to that store before, Deborah, right? So, yeah. So just to give you a little background on that neighborhood really briefly. Actually, I lived in that neighborhood growing up for a good portion of my teenage um, years of my life. It's um, an area of Buffalo called Cold Spring. So that area is predominantly black, low-income, and minority. And the biggest um, thing I really want to say about this community is that that is the only grocery store within, I believe, about a five mile radius 
So you can imagine how many people frequent that store, how many people will actually have no other option. Yeah, one thing I noticed is that when they close the store to do forensics, people were like, open up the store, why can't we get in? I was like, Dude, right. <laughs> I, was like, one, right? I was like, dude, um, I go to another store when the cops are at one store. Right. You know what I'm saying? But desert. then it came out that this is the only store, you know, in the neighborhood. I was surprised at that. Which makes it even more of um, a, a, egregious. A, a, egregious. Yeah. Um, not only did we 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 lose so much life that day, but now our community has a big food insecurity going on because a lot of these people are um, don't drive. They're very low income. They don't have access to cars. And um, the bus system in Buffalo, I don't know if you know about it, but it's not great. It's horrible. So the community suffers, is still suffering now. Um, my cousin was actually the manager at the store. Um, I was aware that she worked there, but I didn't know she worked there until I actually, that day, when I'm, I'm hitting her up to see if she's okay, she's not responding, and I, I turned on the news, and, and I see she barely escaped with her life. Um, there's going to be a lot of trauma yeah, from this. Yeah. Uh, the community is traumatized. The the people that made it out are traumatized. You know what's funny? We were just talking about marijuana reform, right? And for years and years, like, this country put people in jail for smoking pot, right? You know, harmlessly on the street. But you can still, as an 18-year-old, go get two AR-15s now, like, on the day of your birthday, you know what I'm saying, legally. But they're arresting people for weed. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes the wording of laws can get in the way of the practicality of life. Right. Is what I want to say. And um, it just amazes me that someone... There's a gun owner somewhere, a gun, uh, the owner of a gun store somewhere, that will see an 18-year-old come in on his birthday, check his driver, oh, it's his, it's his birthday, okay, what do you want, what'd you like, sir? Oh, two AR-15s on your birthday, cool, you know, like, without even thinking, you know, this might be for a reason, there might be something... There might be something bigger here about to happen. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that goes to even speak to the bigger idea of the ideas and the policies that this country allows to continue and spread. I mean, you got people thinking that there's going to be a replacement theory. I mean, this guy had a whole theory and a whole... Yeah, yeah. Reason why he went there. So we got to look at reform. When we're talking about reform, we got to talk about reforming the ideals that people are allowing to spread on these on these medias and these things like that. The propaganda. That gets the regulation. That's a little hard because we got to deal with the First Amendment. But we also need gun reform control. We can agree that it's too easy. Well, and and the only thing I'll say is that. You know, I come from a red state, right? right? I'm here. I'm here visiting from you know St. Louis, Missouri, and and you know everybody's got guns, right, 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 and it, right. and it's treated as like uh, you know uh, uh, it's historical. You know, I gotta have a, I gotta have my rifle for hunting, right? And but I think when you see things that happen, like what happened in Buffalo and what happened recently in Texas, and and you see how, like you said, how easy it is. In America, for that to happen, because this ain't happening in Overseas, Europe. Nowhere, yeah. This isn't happening with the regularity and the frequency that it does here. And so, there's the question is, and I and I hear you, and I hear that a lot in Missouri. Yeah, you know, yeah. well, what about the Second Amendment? Well, some ambiguous words in a document right. it, is is now governing our policy, and our policy is resulting in dead kids yeah. on a re- on the regular. So, I think that there is a lot 
and that you look at the polling on what do people agree in terms of reasonable regulation of firearms. Mm-hmm. And you can look across the political spectrum. Democrat, Republican, red, blue, whatever, and you'll have 60%, 70% support for you know, stronger background checks, closing the closing the loophole for gun shows, you know, dealing with you know uh, different regulations for assault rifles, which are not for hunting. They're no. for they're 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 only for one purpose, and that's not taking away guns. You know, the, you know, people who are you know the NRA or people who are you know they, they their position is nothing. Nothing needs to change. Well, you know what we're doing is not working. What we're doing right now is not working. Right. When you have when you have somebody that can come in and do that in that store in Buffalo, or somebody can come into an elementary school, when you know, as a parent, just thinking about taking my kids to school, dropping them off, and then never seeing them again because somebody, you know, somebody had some issues and got their hands on an assault rifle, yeah. breaks my heart. It's not it's not working. We got to do something. I think most people agree on that. It's just a question of what can we get done to to improve this situation. Well, we have a broken Congress. We have a Congress that doesn't fix things, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of things that are going awry in America, and this is this one aspect of it. I just can't get over. It's almost like you know, there's a gun store on the corner, right? And there's going to be a big gathering. They say there's going to be a big concert. And I walk in the gun store. I said, "There's going to be a concert out here." Hey, you know, now's a good time to order that gun I want. You know, it's like so obvious. You know what I'm saying? On the day of his birthday, he goes in and buys not one, two AK-47s. Like, you can't even deal with both of them at the same time, so you can't be hunting. And, like, if if I was a gun, if I owned a gun store, I'd be like, so, what are you planning? You know what I'm saying? Like, small talk. You know, like, nothing, you know, what are you going to do with these? I just don't get it. And that goes back to (laughs) what, you know, Chris was just saying. Obviously, the same thing has been happening. It's not producing results. They need to have maybe a different check procedure for people when it's their birthday. Maybe they got to wait a certain amount of time. I grew up in New York City, and when I was growing up, it was harder to buy a porn magazine. Like, we used to try to act like we were older and go into the magazine shop. Like, like, wonder if the guy was going to give it to us. Like, you know, is he going to give it to us this time? Like, this guy had no question that he was going to get to it. AR-15s from a gun shop on his birthday and on that same day you know or a week thereafter he shoots his grandmother in the face and then he should and here's another thing you know let's just say I'm not the biggest law enforcement supporter I will admit that right I've never donated to the policeman's ball right so whenever these cops come out and say you know you know this was a terrible thing but I was a hero you know there's nothing I hate more than people tooting their own horn you know what I'm saying like you know by the way, I saved a lot of lives. Right. Don't you forget it, mister. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, salute as you pass by the police station. And for the, to find out now that this dude just walked into an open door, and didn't, people didn't even shoot at him before he walked in. He shot like three people in a, in a parking lot. This new guy in Uvalde, Texas, I'm, I'm talking about, not um, Buffalo. You know, the guy in Buffalo was stopped by a very, you know, courageous security guard who, who gave his life to protect Thank others. God. And he wasn't even still a cop. But we had cops on the scene in Uvalde, Texas, and this dude just walked right into an open door. They didn't engage him? They hired a security guard that wasn't on the scene. You know, like, security guards work, but they only work if they're there. <laughs> like, if the security guard is home at the time, there's not much he can do. And to find out now, I, I went to a press conference with uh, Governor Greg Abbott, 
And all they were saying over and over, oh, our cops are just so great, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, you know, I, I realize that it's hard to run into a school where a shooting is happening. You know, um, everybody's human. Cops are scared, too. But for them to go up and be like, oh, well, we just saved... They really so, embellished on we things that so were not... We saved so many lives, and, yeah. you know, you know, if you weren't there, you know, yeah. this this would have been even worse, and blah, blah, blah. To find out that this guy barricaded himself in a, in a, in a room for an hour... Well, the worst part is when they realize that they didn't report the, the facts correctly, when they, hey, hey, you didn't report the facts correctly, and they wanted an answer. You yeah. know, he just brushed them off and was like, oh, you know, we'll get back to that, you know, at a later time. Like, people, to children add, To add insult to yeah. injury, you know, if I was outside of, um, a, a school and I heard shooting and my son was in there, I would have the... I would have the gumption to go inside, even if there was shooting. And to think that the cops actually stopped parents. They were like, we're not going in, but you can't Can go in either. Right. Hey, you hear those shots? That could be your kid, but you, you can't go in. And actually arrested a parent to stop her from going in. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, that's like a fire a fire truck outside your house while it's on fire and your kid's in there. And they're like, we're not going to go in, but you can't go in either. Yeah. You know, like. How we're not going to put any water on it either. We're not going to just going to watch it burn. They basically, that's the, what they did. So they, you know, the Jamalso Award does, I don't have the music today, but the Jamalso Award goes to that one parent who got arrested for trying to go in and save her child. Um, she, she had another cop um, talk to the, um, to the troopers and let her go. And as soon as she was get, taken out of handcuffs, she ran right back into that school and got her two kids. And congratulations to her. She was able to save her kids safely. But I just got, you know, the cops were just terrible in this situation. Then Governor Greg Abbott gets on TV. And he says, I'm living. I'm living. Someone lied to me. Someone lied to me. After, you know, going on and on about how the cops saved everybody and how mental illness was the real problem here. You know, people... Mental illness is in other countries too. Other countries have domestic issues. They have, you know, the difference is they don't have guns everywhere. You know, I can't go that's to Thailand. That's the difference. Yeah, that's that's, that's the difference. Pretty easy to see. They have, they they have more domestic issues in some countries because they're more poor. You know, so they have more. Issues. I've been to Africa. I've been to um, so-called third world countries. They have the same mental issues that we do. But they don't have 400 million guns rolling around in a country of 320 million people. That's the issue. They're a little bit too easy to get. And I myself would be nervous even ordering a gun. Going, I, I couldn't imagine going in and get. I would go in for one at a time. But to go in and be like, you know, give me three AK-47s. You know, I'm, uh, it's just uh, baffling to me that nobody would question this kid. Nobody would, you know... Even if you sell them the guns, like call the cops afterwards, you know, somebody really shady came in. It's his birthday and he bought two AK-47s. Sounds like something he wants to accomplish here. You know what I'm saying? And um, I think it's shameful. I think it's shameful. And I'm running out of time, so I will thank all my guests for coming on. Deborah, Attorney Peeper, Attorney Anthony Johnson. We, we did have a successful show today, and I thank you all for listening. I will be back in two weeks. And if I'm not back in two weeks, that means I've passed away. So come to my funeral. <laughs> but other than that, I will be here. So um, I thank you so much for listening. Please join us again on the Jamal Show in two weeks. And hey, by the way, we really need a fair fight here. So try not to kick each other in the balls.
This is the Jamal Show. This is the Jamal Show.